We're turning to the Old Testament, to the prophecy before the last, the book before the last, in the Old Testament, Zechariah, just before Malachi, turning back from Matthew's, more easy to find it, back to Matthew, Malachi, Zechariah, and the chapter 12, we're going to give you a wee bit of a mixed grill this morning, a bit of prophecy, a bit of uh, uh, teaching on things that we don't hear much of in these days, as the Lord has laid the message, this message upon our heart. We're at the chapter 12 of Zechariah, <clears throat> and we're reading from the verse 8. And I want you to watch these words very carefully. This is a great neglected prophecy, a mighty, one of the greatest prophecies uh, for the last days that we have in the Bible, in the Old Testament. So let us look at verse 8 and read on down and try and digest as we read what God is saying to us this morning and has for us today. In that day shall the Lord defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and he that is feeble among them. At that day shall, at that day shall be as David, and the house of David shall be as God, as the angel of the Lord before them. Notice the capital Lord. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him as one that mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. In that day shall there be a great mourning in Jerusalem, as the mourning of Hadad Rimon in the valley of Megiddo. And the land shall mourn every family apart. Now I want you to notice the word apart. And the land shall mourn every family apart. The family of the house of David apart. And their wives apart. The family of the house of Nathan apart. And their wives apart. The family of the house of Levi apart, and their wives apart. The family of Shimei apart, and their wives apart. All the families that remain, every family apart, and their wives apart. In that day, there should be no division in this chapter like many others. In that day, there shall be a fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. We know that God will bless to us 
the reading of his precious word this morning. Now hold your Bibles open, please. And if you have closed them, open them, because it's the word of God that needs to speak to us this morning. Thirty-three times in the prophecy of Zechariah, we find the phrase, that day or the day of the Lord. Seven times in this twelfth chapter, you will find it. It simply means the day of judgment and wrath that has yet to come upon the world. It's the opening of the seals of Revelation 6 and the vials that's going to be poured out in the judgment day. It's the horsemen of the apocalypse riding in. The day when the Lord Jesus will return with vengeance to the earth with his saints and destroy his enemies and hail in the great millennial reign of Christ. According to the scriptures, it comes when the great battle of Armageddon, which is before the world without a doubt, the great battle of Armageddon is at its height. Fifty miles north of Jerusalem, twenty miles long, fourteen miles wide, are the plains of Megiddo, the valley of Jehoshaphat or the valley of Jezreel. Megiddo means the place of slaughter, where this great battle is going to be fought. The great Napoleon surveyed it one time and he looked at it and he says this is the most natural place on earth for a battle. Over 2,500 years ago, the prophet Zechariah, moved by the Spirit, gave us some of the greatest prophecies regarding these days. And you look at verse 8, you get your eyes on verse 8. In that day shall the Lord defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and he that is feeble among them at that day shall be as David. So the house of David shall be as God as the angel of the Lord before them. Verse 9. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. Now I want you to notice the word all the nations. Because millions and millions of the world's greatest men, soldiers and armies are going to come against Jerusalem in this day. The greatest atomic powers, the greatest nuclear powers, the greatest surveillance powers, the greatest scientific powers, the greatest cyber powers, the great powers of the great nations of the earth are all going to compass round Jerusalem. They're all going to gather along the eastern Mediterranean and around the Persian Gulf. The word of God tells us who these armies will be. From the north will come Russia. And when Russia invades Palestine, 83% of their soldiers will be decimated and destroyed. Then there's going to come the great armies from the south. This is all the word of God. And we have preached on prophecy down through the years here. There's going to come the great armies from the south, Egypt and Arab, the Arab world. Then coming from the east is red China. Revelation 9 and verse 16 tells us, of 200 million soldiers 
Imagine that, 200 million, Revelation 9 and 6, 200 million soldiers of the Chinese army will invade uh, the, the, the people of God. Men from the West, headed by the Antichrist, Macron and Merkel at the moment are furiously putting this army together. And the great army is going to come from the north and the south and from the east and from the west. The greatest military of uh, amassing of forces the world has ever seen is going to happen in the future in this very spot. The build-up has already begun. The Chinese leader said a couple of weeks ago at the centenary of the Communist Party, the envoy that never smiles, there's not a smiling envoy can't smile. There's nothing in his heart, only vengeance and evil. And one fellow said, he said, we're ready. And then he said this, whoever challenges us, their head will be broken and their face will be bloody. And if you turn on any good news at the moment, you'll see that they're flexing the muscles, their muscles in the South Chinese Sea, and they're getting ready for battle. I want to say to you this morning that the battle of the Bulge and the battle of Al Alamein and the battle of uh, Normandy and the battle of Dunkirk and the battle of Waterloo will all be Mickey Mouse to this great battle of Armageddon that's coming. You need to read your word and you need to understand your word. Because if you read these prophetical words that have been denied by the people in many churches today, you'll get the spirit of prayer and burden for souls into your heart. Look at verse 9 again. And it shall come to pass on that day that I, that I, notice the word I, I will seek to destroy all the nations that come upon Jerusalem. Look at verse 10. And I will pour upon the house of David. And you'll go on down and you'll say, that. who's the I? Who's the I? Well, we know who the I says, the angel of the Lord there in the last of that verse. The angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord in verse eight, the end of verse 8, as the angel of the Lord, that's the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Didn't Jesus himself say? What did he say in Matthew 24? He says, when you see Jerusalem come past about with armies, lift up your head and look up, for your Redeemer draweth nigh. Boy, if you had nothing else, only the word of the Lord Jesus for that. When you see it happening, lift up your head, for your Redeemer draweth nigh. That's what he says. We know that it's him. Look at verse 10 to make sure that you know it's him. Look at the end of verse 10. And they shall look upon me, whom they have pierced. That's not Zechariah was never pierced. God was never pierced. They're looking on his son. They're looking on me, on me, whom they have pierced. Look at at chapter 13 and verse 6. What does it say there? And shall say unto him, what are these wounds in thy hands? So you make no mistake, my, my friend, this morning. This is the Lord Jesus Christ coming back in power. They'll see the wounds. They'll see the, 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 the wounds in his hands. They'll see the wounds in his feet. They'll see, they'll see him whom they pierced on Calvary's cross. This is the Lord's return to the earth. And how people can spiritualize it and twist it about is more than I know. And if you want any further proof, look at chapter 14. Get your eyes on chapter 14. I'm teaching some of you something that you've never probably even heard. And God forgive the places that you went to that never taught you the prophetical scripture. We see in verse chapter 14, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and the spoil shall be delighted in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the household rifled, and the women ravished. 
And half of the city shall go forth into the captivity. And the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the people. Then shall the Lord go forth, the capital Lord. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. I have put down here the mighty fight. The mighty fight. Lord God, the Lord Jesus Christ, one man against the millions. One man against all of China, Russia. One man, just one man in this battle, let me tell you. And Paul tells us in 2 Thessalonians, listen to what he says. He shall, the Lord shall destroy them with the brightness of his coming and consume them with the spirit of his mouth. You will get this scriptures, you'll get it in Job, you'll get it in Ezekiel, you'll get it in Daniel, you'll get it in Joel, you'll get it in John's gospel, you'll get it in Jude, you'll get it right through the word of God. This mighty fight, this mighty battle of Armageddon is going to take place. It's going to be a mighty, it's going to be a mighty fight. Now watch on, watch on here. Because it's not only the mighty fight here in verse, in verse, in verse three, then shall the Lord go forth and fight against these nations as when he fought in battle. Here's the majestic feet. Watch this. And his feet. <laughs> his feet. That's the feet of the Lord Jesus. The last thing they saw was his feet. The disciples saw was his feet. When he, when he went up on the, on the Mount of Olives and he, and he descended up and ascended up into heaven, they watched and they seen him go. Well, let me tell you, the first thing they're going to see is his feet. These, these are the majestic feet. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, has come back. The Redeemer has returned to Zion. The Lord has come back to the earth. He's come back to the Mount of Olives. There's not only the mighty fight and the majestic feet, there's the mountain fractured because we read on in verse 4, and his feet shall stand on that day upon the Mount of Olives as before Jerusalem to the east and the Mount of the west shall cleave to the midst thereof. The Mount of Olives is going to split in two. One foot on each side, one foot on the other side, and she's going to split in two. That's what the Word of God says. Not only does the Word of God say this is going to happen, but geological people and other people tell us, for years now they're not allowing anybody to build on the Mount of Olives. They wanted to build a hotel some years ago on a special plate. No, you can't because it's fractured. There's a geological fracture running up through the middle of it now. They say to me that you could nearly drive a train through it. But he's going to come, he's going to put his feet in one end and the other, and the whole thing's going to cleave. There's going to be a mighty fight. There's going to be the majestic feet. There's going to be the, the mountain fractured. Now back to chapter 12 and verse 10, because this is what we're after this morning. Chapter 12 and verse 10. Oh, what's these mighty words? And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one that mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one is in bitterness of the firstborn. I will, listen, this is a promise from God. This is a promise from the Lord that that are ye and amen from a God who cannot lie. I will pour out upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem. There are two entities there. There's the house of David and there's the inhabitants of Jerusalem. There's two other entities here because he says, I will pour out the spirit of grace and of supplication. He's going to do that. It's going to happen. 
He says, I will pour out the spirit of grace and supplication. That's what the Lord says he's going to do in the end times. And I believe it with all my heart that he's going to do it. Now, I want you to watch this. This promise is for the feeble. It's a promise, but it's first of all for the feeble. Verse 8, In that day shall the Lord defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem and he that is feeble amongst them. I tell you, they'll be in a bad state. A bad state. Do you know that Israel this morning is an island surrounded by a sea of 26 Islamic nations, all waiting to destroy her. They've surrounded her this morning, just as we speak. She's surrounded. And this promise is for the feeble. They'll not be able to do anything. They can't help themselves. In this battle, they'll not be able to do. There's nothing only the omnipotent hand of God will deliver them. No peace treaties, no American, no nothing else will deliver them. This is for the feeble, the tottering, wavering, weak, indefensible, incarcerated inhabitants of Jerusalem, surrounded and trapped by the guile and subtlety of wicked and evil, godless men and soldiers and armies. And when all hope is gone, when all hope is gone, Jesus will come. Friend, That has been the way with us too. That has been the way down through the years. That's what he did with you and me when we were in our sin. You know, when we were feeble and weak and we had no strength and no ability to do anything ourselves and we couldn't lift a hand to save ourselves. Jesus came. Hallelujah. Jesus comes. The tempter's power is broken. When we ourselves were cast down and feeble and shackled by sin and burdened by sin and not able to move ourselves when the devil had us hemmed in and ready to destroy us. Jesus came, hallelujah. Shackled by, let's sing it. Shackled by a... Sing it. Morn, you can do better than that now. Then the hand of Jesus touched me, and now I am no longer the same. Sing it. He touched me. Oh, he touched me. Yet without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. When we were yet wavering and tired and weary of our sins and couldn't find rest anywhere, one day, one night, Jesus came and from sinking sands he lifted me. With tender hands he lifted me. We can say like Job, my soul was weary of life, but he gave water to the weary to drink. Hallelujah. When all the powers of hell, the world and the flesh and the devil was against us, Jesus was for us. And at that precious moment he came. You know, my friend, and there's a lovely phrase here in this promise. He poured out the spirit of grace 
pouring out the Spirit of grace. That's the only time you'll get this phrase in the Word of God. The Spirit of grace. What a lovely phrase. Oh, thank God for the Spirit of grace. Where would we be if we're not for the grace of God? Where would we be last week if it wasn't for the grace of God and the Holy Spirit poured upon us? That grace of God poured upon us every day. Glory to God. What a lovely phrase. When we were doomed and dark and damned and in our sin, he poured out the Spirit of grace upon us. And by grace were we saved, not of works, lest any man should boast. And that Holy Spirit poured out upon our lives in our sin and in our darkness. And in sinner this morning for you, if you're not saved, the Spirit of grace is here and will be here. As long as we're here, the church is here. The Spirit of grace will be here to save you, to rescue you, to lift you. The Spirit of grace captured us, rescued us, uh, delivered us. And it says here the supplication and the Spirit of supplication and the Spirit of grace. My friend, we thank God for those who prayed for us. Thank God who supplicated the throne of grace and the spirit of grace moved in our lives and in our heart. And Lord, and let me say to you, keep pouring out the spirit of supplication in these prayer meetings. Keep pouring out the spirit of supplication at home because God will move in grace. God's spirit will move. And he's going to do it. And he has done it here. And he's going to do greater things. He says, I will pour out. Pouring out. Of the Spirit of God. And I say to you, Christian, this morning, those of you who are weak and weary, don't be weary in well-doing. We shall reap if we shall faint not. There's a great day coming. Lift up your hands and lift up your feeble knees and make this pa- the, the path straight for your feet. Why does he mention David here in verse 8 and verse 10? Well, you see, he mentions David in verse 8. Why does Zechariah go way back and think of David? And I want to tell you why I believe I may not be right, but I believe in my own heart. I, I believe there's a reason. David was a feeble. Feeble David, insignificant David, defenseless David, outnumbered David, surrounded David, just like the remnant of the people of God in this day that we're talking about. Many times David was cornered. Many times Israel was cornered, and every time God rescued them, and every battle he rescued them, and David was, was, was feeble. He was feeble. And I think that Zechariah had in mind here Saul. I may be wrong, but I'm entitled to my opinion as any other man. I believe that he had here David when he came to face Goliath. I believe that he had in mind here that David was feeble and weak and unable to face such an awful giant as Goliath and all the Philistine army that had surrounded Israel. And remember, they had surrounded Israel. The problem was with Saul, and the problem was with was this. Saul, Saul, the king, and all his thousands of soldiers had lost the anointing. Saul had lost the power. Now, Gilbert said last Sunday in this pulpit, he says, a lot of you people, a lot of Christians, are not going to survive the anointing. We're not going to survive. A lot of Christians are not going to survive these last days. 
The only way that you're going to survive these last days, I want to tell you now, is that you're before the Lord on your own an hour a day or at least and in every prayer meeting you can get. Because the battle's on. It's well and truly on. And hundreds of ministers and preachers and pastors out there, they're like Saul, they've lost the anointing. They've no power. And Saul had lost the anointing. He was still king. He was still in authority. He could still get the crowds. He could still muster the army. He could still write letters and he could still order the kingdom, but he had no power. Because whenever the Philistine Goliath marched up and down across, you know it from a child, 40 days and 40 nights, morning and evening, they ran, they fled, they hid, they duked. They had no power to face them. And that's the state of the church this morning. I say to you, my friend, it's the state of the church in Ulster this morning. There's no power. We need the anointing and the power back into the pulpit. We need the anointing and the power of God back into our churches. And when the battle was on, and when the battle came, and when the devil sneaked in and and slipped in through COVID and, and fooled most of us all, when he slipped in, he closed the churches and scattered the people. And we all obeyed him. And I can tell you, my friend, the battle is well and truly on. And so when the Goliath come and when the enemy come, there's no power to face him. And God had one man, just one man, David, anointed with the Holy Ghost and power. David had the anointing, but he couldn't get in to do it. Saul had lost it and he should have been out. There's a whole lot of men across our country this morning. They have lost the anointing. They haven't survived the anointing. They have lost the anointing. There's no power. There's no fire. There's no authority. There's no move. There's no revival. There's no blessing. There's no souls hardly. We're all sorts of gimmicks to try to get people in. Let me tell you, my friend, my heart's burdened this morning. Burdened. I think that he thought of Zechariah. He thought of David here because David was surrounded. And David had the anointing of God and one man with the anointing of God and the power of the Holy Spirit upon him, I tell you, shook the very Philistine army and drove them back and done what the whole rest of them couldn't do. David was feeble, but God was with him. And the more feeble we are, the more hope we have of God being with us. The more humble we are, the more broken we are, we're more, more at the feet of Jesus we are, the more that we say, there's nothing in us, we can do nothing. Then the Lord will come and bless. But they were not only feeble, there were few. This promise was for the few. There's only a remnant here that stayed here. There's only a remnant that stood the ground here. You know, that on Wednesday night here, we were here, there were about 30 of us praying. Do you know how many were watching the match on Wednesday night? 26 million. I went up and I heard the news on 26 million watching the last and 30 of us praying here. Well, I tell you, I'd have rather been praying here. And I'm nothing against football, and you watch away at it. I want to tell you, my friend, that there's days coming when every eye shall see him. We're going to see that in a moment. When he comes to the Mount of Olives, every eye shall see him. And 30 or 40 million might watch this match today, whenever it's on the night. And look, well, I tell you, that's not every eye, but every eye is going to see him. And you're going to see in a moment that they're going to wail because of him. As there's going to be a wailing. There's going to be a mourning for our sins. And it's coming, it's coming upon, it's coming upon 
the nation. Small remnant, just a few. God loves the few. I'm glad to be part of the few. I'm glad to be doing... Listen, friend, I'm glad to be doing something this morning that works. If I thought bonfires would work, I'd put a big bonfire up the top of the lane. If I thought it would work. If I thought parades or anything like that would work, I would do it. If it would spiritually work and do something for our land, I would do it. If it would do something to change the lives and the hearts and the sins of people, I would be the first to do it. But it's not working. Not working. We need an intervention of God, the Holy Spirit. And he says, I will pour, I will pour out. But there's conditions before he pours out that we'll see as we come to a close. You see, this is, this is for the few. Do you know there was just a few when he came the first time? I tell you, when he came the first time, situations were worse than they were this time, or as bad. Because Rome ruled them in those days. They not only, they not only surrounded them, but they bludgeoned the people of God into submission. And when Jesus came the first time, there was only a handful. Let me say also, when Jesus came the first time, every demonic power of hell came against him. You'll hardly read through the, any of the gospel, the chapters of the gospel, but you'll see where demons rose out of men and out of women to destroy them and destroy people. And it's going to, and this is the same today. All the demonic powers of hell are rising up. Powers that you never heard of. And young people all over the place. When he came the first time, there was only a feeble few. There was Zacharias and Elizabeth. There was Simeon and there was Anna. And there was the Baptist. Just a few. But you read those few. You read about uh, Simeon and, and, and Anna and Elizabeth and Zechariah, you read about them and you will read that there were people of prayer and people of praise and people of hope who believed. There was only a few, you know, gathered up in Kells. There was only one man that brought down the revival in Cambuslang in Scotland. One man. One man with a burden prayed and cried to God. There was only a few gathered in Wales at the very beginning. There was only a couple in Usy Street. There's always been the remnant, and there's always been the few, and there's always been the feeble. The old blacksmith and those that couldn't do anything, only depending on God, only owing to God. Lord, we're bait. We can do nothing. That's what God loves to hear. And that's what he has promised to bless. It's a promise for the feeble and it's a promise for the few. But I'm ending up with this. And this is the punchline this morning. It's a promise for the future. It's a national visitation, first of all. 
He says, I will pour out on the house of David. The house of David. No matter what the amillennians and the dead, the hyper-Calvinists say to us this morning, God is not finished with Israel. Don't let that thinking or that doctrine get into your mind that God is finished with Israel and you spiritualize all this stuff. He can't do that. Twice in Romans 11, Paul says, God has not cast away his people. And twice he says this, God forbid. He says then, God has the spirit of slumber over them now. Their eyes, they have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. But he's going to come to them. He came onto his own, and his own received him not. They put him on an old cross. They slew him there at Calvary's hill. But my friend, the day and hour that's coming, let me say this. You know what Revelation 1 tells us? Behold, he cometh with clouds. And those clouds are not the clouds of the sky because he's coming with his saints to reign. Because my Bible tells me that the saints of God will be gone up to meet him in the rapture and he'll come to the air and take us out. And seven years later, he will come and the saints will come with him and we'll be with him when he comes to the Mount of Olives and when his feet touches down, we will be there. We will be there. And in Revelation 1 we read this, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and also those that pierced him. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. I tell you, it will dawn on them. And they'll look upon him. Listen, friends, they'll look upon me, he says. They'll look upon me whom they pierced. They'll look upon me whom they nailed to the cross and put the sword into my side. They'll look upon me. They're going to see him on that day. The Jews are going to see him and the Jews are going to be changed and turned and thousands and millions of them are going to be saved. And they'll wail because of him. Their blinded eyes will be opened and they'll say, Oh, look at what we have done. We have crucified the Son of God. And we did it in blindness, and we didn't know it. And it says they shall mourn as, a, as a, you mourn for an only son. Do you know that's the worst kind of mourning in the Bible? You go through the Scriptures for mourning over sorrow. There's many ways we mourn, you know. We can, we can be sorry over regrets, and we can be sorry over sin. We can be sorry over a lot of things. But the mourning, the mourning and grief, the worst mourning and grief is the mourning over a son. And he says, Thou shalt mourn as for an only son, the Jews. There's going to be a national visitation to the Jews on that day. They shall see him whom they pierced. But then there's going to be a general visitation because it says this in verse 10, the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Now, according to some theologians, one of the Puritan theologians, that's all the rest, the Jew, the Gentile, or the the, the Gentile. It's a promise for every man, woman, and child, every wandering sinner is the word the Puritan uses here. Every wandering sinner. 
It's a call to sinners this morning. It's a call to backsliders this morning. It's a call to all of us this morning. They, that's the people that look upon me, that's the person whom they have pierced, that's the piercing. And they'll mourn, that's the pain. Friend, herein is the burden of my heart this morning. Herein is the reason why I preach this message this morning. What I'm going to say now in the last five minutes of this message is what made me, drew me to this message this morning. The greatest need of the hour is genuine brokenness and repentance. And the only way that we can really mourn and grieve is when we look at him. When we come to the cross, when we come to Calvary this morning, when we see him hanging there, and what he paid, the price he paid for our sins on the tree at Calvary, the Son of God, the creator of all things, stripped naked, hung on an old wooden cross. My friend, that we don't mourn, that we don't mourn over our sins when we see him who died for our sins. There's something needed. There's something needed. The problem today is in Northern Ireland is that hundreds are putting up their hands and they're nodding their head. But there's no grief. There's no mourning. There's no repentance. There's no repentance. How can they repent when they're not even told about the cross? How can they repent when they're not even told about the death of Christ? They're told some story, but if you want to be saved, put up your hand and nod your head. No repentance. My dear friend, listen, our land this morning needs a baptism of repentance. And brokenness. If there's no repentance, there'll be no mourning. There'll be no mourning without repentance. Godly sorrow worketh repentance. And I want to say this this morning, it's the same token as we gather around this table. We gather around this table this morning. We do it for years. We do it every day. It's the nearest thing that we can get to what I'm speaking about. He says, this do in remembrance of me. Look upon me whom you pierced. Mind you, we're guilty too. We're just as guilty as the one that drove the nails into his hands because of our sin and of our rebellion. He says, you look upon me, we're looking upon him. We look the bread, the body, the blood, the wine. But is there any mourning? Is there any repentance? My friend, some of you don't even think it's important. He says, look on me. Look on the body that was broken. Look on the blood that was shed. Look at him. Me. 
Not Zechariah, not God. God was never crucified. This is the Son of God. This is what he's saying to us. He's saying, right in, he comes in with mourning and repentance, godly sorrow, like the sorrow of losing a child. Do we know anything about that? Do we know anything about sorrowing over sin? I remember the first time Pat and I went down to Naknakura and Bandon. I'll never forget it. We went to join with 90% of the group there, all converted Catholics. We're up in the hills of Naknakura outside Bandon, Cork. Many visits we had and we're still good friends down there. I remember the first, they went to broke the bread in the evening. Broke bread every Lord's Day. Uh, there was about 25, maybe 30 of them at the very most. And there wasn't a word spoke. We just sat there. And then some brother asked the Lord to bless the bread. Bless the wine. And especially the wine. Do you know that it must have took them an hour for 30 of them to get that service over. As I say, most of them were all converted Catholics. You know when those women, the wee veils over their head, nobody taught them that, you know. They were in the presence of God and you would know it. And if you go down this morning, they're still in the presence of God. And the, the women got the, the, one, the one cup and those women used to kiss the cup and they used to hold the cup and weep. And I'm not exaggerating when I say they could have hold, held it for five or ten minutes weeping. They were denied it. They were never allowed to touch the cup. They had the bread put on their tongue. I tell you, they were mourning. The hearts were so full and they felt so unable to touch the like. National visitation, general visitation, personal visitation. That's why I emphasize the word apart ten times. And when you go into the next verse, the Spirit is poured out. I want you to notice the order here. There's the looking and gazing upon him. There's the mourning. There's the repenting. And then there's the Spirit poured out. The fountain opened. Or cleansing. That's the order. That's still the order today. Wife apart, husband apart, children apart, ten times. You read those and get those names, and you'll discover that all the people are involved here the, 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 the priests, the family, the laymen, 
They're all involved, and all their names are here, apart. Now listen, we're not saved by proxy. We can't repent by proxy. And we can't have revival by proxy. You need to get apart from your husband to repent. You need to get apart from your wife to repent. There's things for the ears of God and they're only for the ears of God. You know your own heart this morning. I know my heart this morning. But he's saying, come apart here. He's saying, this is the last word to you this morning. Come apart, come apart. Mother, come apart. Father, come apart. Young man, come apart. Close the door, shut the door. Get in before God. Repent. Just sit there and see what you need to repent of. And gaze upon him and think upon him and think of all that he has done for you and all that he will do for you if you repent. But not until you repent, until you mourn. This is more than I putting up your hand. And let me say it again. I get into trouble for saying this, but I must say it. This is more than praying a wee prayer. You can pray a wee prayer without repentance. You can say you're saved and you're a Christian and you're born again, but are you? Get apart. He says, get apart. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn, then shall I hear and I shall heal and I I will forgive. Once that happens, once that is done here, once they've come apart, once they have repented, once they have mourned, once they've got a good view of Christ and cross and Calvary, once they've seen it, once they've seen it, he says, I'll pour my spirit out. And that's where Cowper got that hymn. He got it from those verses. There is a fountain filled with blood, thrown from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stain. There's a fountain open this morning for uncleanness, and he'll cleanse you and cleanse me. We'll have to mourn over our sins, first of all. I wonder was John, I wonder was Zechariah thinking of the mind of John when he put that spear up into his side and the, and the blood and the water flowed out on the cross. Man, that old soldier just gouged that spear up into the side of my lovely safe, into his heart. And out came blood and water. There is a fountain filled with blood. I tell you, there's cleansing this morning for whatever your sin is. There's cleansing. Backslider, come back this morning. Get a look at Calvary this morning. Get a look at him this morning. Come back. Sinner, come to him this morning. He'll cleanse you. He'll save you. He'll bless you. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. Hallelujah. Let us pray.
Father, we thank you this morning for your mighty plan of salvation and your word, Lord, that you will not change for any man. We realize, Lord Jesus, that all these men, Jesus, John, and John the Baptist, and Paul, and others came preaching repentance. And so, Lord, we ask this morning, Father, that you'll give us grace to repent, that we may turn our eyes on to thee this morning, that we may get a fresh look at Calvary this morning, that we may see him who loved us and give himself for me, that look upon him whom they have pierced. Oh, God, our Father, forgive us, Lord, for playing with sin. Lord, we ask this morning, Lord, that you'll help us to get our eyes gazing on, fixed upon the Christ of Calvary this morning. What are those wounds in your hands? I was wounded in the house of my friends. And Lord, we say it very reverently this morning, but your greatest friend of all, the Lord God Almighty himself, turned his face away from you. Oh, God. Wounded. Wounded for me. Wounded for me. There on the cross, he was wounded for me. Lord, I just thank you that you bore the wounds and the pain and the shame and the blame of Calvary for my sins. And I just thank you, Lord, for the day and hour that you saved me and saved these dear people here. We pray in these last days, Lord, in these last hours that we'll praise you that the shackles are gone and the burdens are gone. Run away to heaven, glory to God, and we shall be with thee and we shall reign with thee forever. Lord, let us in whatever time is left down here. Let us, Lord, to make much of Jesus, make much of the cross. Oh, God, our Father, help us, Lord, to live for thee in the way that we should in these days. Answer our prayer and accept our thanks. Bless those that must go and remember those that stay. In Jesus' name, amen.